chapters twenty three through twenty five of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Marcetich, Alexandria, Virginia, July 2010. California by J. Terwitt Brooks. Chapter 23 The Gold District Sickness and Selfishness The Dead Become the Prey of the Wolf Malcolm's Gradual Recovery The Kindness of His Nurse A Malaria Life and Property Alike Insecure The Wealthy Gold Finder Laid in Wait for Bodies in the River Gold for a pillow. Robberies. Rags. Brandy at a dollar a dram. The big bony American again. Sutter's Fort. Intelligence of Lacrosse. Intelligence of the robbers. Sweeting's Hotel again. A meeting. El Capitan. Desertions from the ships. Andreas's offer to a captain. The first alcade gone to the mines. The second alcade follows his superior. Start for Monterey in pursuit of Andreas. Board the vessels in port. A deserter arrested. Leave Monterey. Cross the coast range. Meet with civilized Indians. Intelligence of the robbers. Indian horse stealers. Continue the pursuit. Abandon it and return to Monterey. I stayed with Malcolm throughout the next few days and spent a good part of my time out of doors among the gold washers but soon I felt no inclination to take part in their labors. Fever was very prevalent, and I found that more than two-thirds of the people at this settlement were unable to move out of their tents. The other third were too selfish to render them any assistance. The rainy season was close at hand, when they would have to give over work, but meanwhile they sought after the gold as though all their hopes of salvation rested on their success. I was told that deaths were continually taking place, and that the living comrades of those whose eyes were closed in that last sleep, when the wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest, denied the poor corpses of their former friends a few feet of earth for a grave and left the bodies exposed for the wolf to prey upon. In a couple of days, Malcolm was sufficiently recovered to no longer require my assistance. At his instigation, I took my departure toward Sutter's Fort, where MacPhail or Lacrosse might perhaps be still waiting for me. I felt that he was in good hands, and that his kind Californian nurse and her husband would do all that they could for him. Their kind treatment of my poor friend offered a striking contrast to the callous selfishness around. 
I journeyed by slow marches along the banks of the Sacramento, passing several colonies of gold finders on my way. At noon, I halted at one of these and loitered some little time round the camp. The rapidly decaying vegetation, here usually rank, was producing a malaria, and sickness was doing its ravages, but still the poor infatuated people, or rather such of them as were not prevented by positive inability, worked on until they sunk under the toil. Everyone seemed determined to labor as hard as possible for the few weeks left before the rainy season set in, and the result was that many of them met their deaths. There were others, though, who sought to enrich themselves with the shining gold by a quicker and perhaps less dangerous process than all this weary toil. According to the accounts I heard, life and property were alike insecure. The report ran that as soon as it became known that a man had amassed a large amount of gold, he was watched and followed about till an opportunity presented itself of quietly putting him out of the way. There had been but few known deaths, but the number of persons who had been missed, and whose friends even had not thought it worth while to go in search of them, was very large. In every case, the man's stock of gold was not to be found in his tent, still there was nothing surprising in this, as everyone made a point of carrying his gold about him no matter how heavy it might happen to be. One or two dead bodies had been found floating in the river, which circumstance was looked upon as indicative of foul play having taken place, as it was considered that the poorest of the gold finders carried fully a sufficient weight of gold about them to cause their bodies to sink to the bottom of the stream. Open attempts at robbery were rare, it was in the stealthy night-time that thieves prowled about, and, entering the little tents, occupied by not more than perhaps a couple of miners, neither of whom, in all probability, felt inclined to keep a weary watch over their golden treasure, carried off as much of it as they could lay their hands on. By way of precaution, however, Almost everyone slept with their bag of gold underneath their pillow, having a rifle or revolver within their reach. That same night, I reached the camp of gold washers, where Lacrosse and the trapper had had their horses and packs of provisions stolen from them. The robbery, I believe, was committed by men almost on the verge of want, who thought it a more convenient way of possessing themselves of a stock of provisions than performing a journey to the lower settlements for that purpose would have been, and a cheaper way than purchasing them here, where they run scarce, and where the price of them is exorbitantly high. Other things are in proportion. Clothing of any description is hardly to be had at any price, and the majority of the miners go about in rags, collected round a rude shanty where brandy was being dispensed at a dollar a dram. I saw a group of ragged gold diggers, the greater part of them suffering from fever, paying this exorbitant price 
for glass after glass of the fiery spirit, every drop of which they consumed, was only aggravating their illness, and, in all probability, bringing them one step nearer to their grave. The big bony American, who treated Lacrosse and the trapper in such a peremptory manner, and who seemed to be the terror of these diggings, was pointed out to me. I learned, however, that he had accumulated a very large amount of gold, over sixteen thousand dollars worth, it was said, and his suspicions that parties were lying in wait to plunder him of it was the cause of his acting as he had done. He thought they only came to his shanty with an excuse for the purpose of observing its weak points, and that no doubt they had a scheme in their heads for robbing him either at night time or while he was absent digging and washing during the day. The men he had shot, it seems, were common thieves, one, a deserter from the garrison at Monterey, and the other belonging to a similar band of robbers, to that by which our party had been attacked, and our gold carried off. I reached Sutter's Fort the next day, and found it like the most crowded localities of some of our great cities, with the exception that the bulk of the people we met with belonged to a totally different race. I saw Captain Sutter for a few moments, when he informed me that Mr. Bradley and his party had left a couple of days ago, and that a gentleman, accompanied by a man named Joe White, who, as the captain said, used to trap for him before the gold fever came up, had been making inquiries at the fort respecting Mr. Bradley that very day. I at once saw that this could be no other than Lacrosse, and set off to see if I could meet with him. After some search, I was fortunate enough to discover him at the newly opened hotel here, which he had intended stopping for the night. I remained with him and shared his room, a little box not more than ten feet by twelve, or thereabouts, but we considered ourselves fortunate in having obtained even that, the place being tremendously crowded. I heard from Lacrosse that Captain Sutter had informed him that the leader of the band of desperadoes who had plundered us had been seen down at the fort with some of his companions not more than ten days ago. He was quite sure he was right in the man, for Thomas Maria, who had been shot, belonged to his gang, and was, in fact, his chief lieutenant. The name of El Capitan was Andreas Armjo, and Captain Sutter said he recommended Bradley to make his way to San Francisco, where, in all probability, he would meet with him, as when he left the fort he had taken the road towards the coast. The next day we started off towards San Francisco, and, from inquiries made on the road, found that we were on the correct track. Bradley, Don Luis, MacPhail, and Jose, having passed through a day or two previous, we arrived at the end of our journey without meeting with any adventures worth noting, and at once made our way to Sweeting's Hotel. 
glad to find it one of the few houses in this town that were not shut up here we met with our friends who had been there now nearly two days and were then on the point of starting off in pursuit of andreas and his comrades we learned from them that directly they heard the important information which captain sutter had communicated to them they started off in pursuit but not with any expectation of coming up with the gentlemen they were in search of before arriving at san francisco they had constant tidings of them all along the route as el capitan was too well known to many a poor ranchero whom he had plundered of the dollars procured by the sale of his hides while on his journey home from the sea coast when they arrived at san francisco they made inquiries whether any ships had recently left the harbor and were glad to find that there was not a merchant vessel in port with enough hands on board to weigh the anchor every ship had been more or less deserted by its crews who had hastened off for a few weeks labor at the gold diggings they found however that andreas armho and his men had been making inquiries on board of several of the vessels to ascertain whether any of them left port on finding none were sufficiently manned to do so they offered the captain of one schooner a thousand dollars to land them at any port in mexico he pleased and said they would help themselves to work the ship the captain however declined the offer after receiving this intelligence they went to the house of the first alcade to consult with him on what steps should be taken to arrest the robbers who were then doubtless at some place near the coast they found however that he had gone to the mines with the rest of the people and they made their way to the residence of the second alcade in the hope of being more fortunate but he too had gone to the mines with his superior further inquiries satisfied them that there was not an officer of justice left in the town of san francisco and they had therefore determined to make their way forthwith to monterey as in all probability the gang would proceed there in the hope of meeting with a ship lacrosse and myself determined to accompany them and the old trapper volunteered his services which were accepted we obtained fresh horses from sweeting and set off in gallant style determined to shorten the distance by hard riding it was early on wednesday morning when we arrived at monterey and mcphail and bradley proceeded to board all the ships in the bay while don luis lacrosse and myself made inquiries about the town we soon learned that andreas armho and his party had been paying it a visit and moreover one of the gang who thought he had disguised himself so as not to be recognized had been seized as a deserter from the garrison there the others were not interfered with as there was no specific charge out against them our robbery had of course not been heard of here don luis and myself 
after having dispatched lacrosse to communicate this intelligence to bradley and MacPhail, sought an interview with colonel mason and on informing him of the robbery and the circumstances attending it received from him an order to see the soldier who was then under arrest by promises of not proceeding against him for any share he might have had in the robbery we induced him to confess the whole circumstances connected with it and also to inform us of the route intended to be taken by el capitan and the two others of the gang this it seems was along the great spanish trail to santa fe on rejoining our companions we decided to continue here the remainder of the day and to start off the next morning in pursuit we informed colonel mason of the circumstance and he stated that he would have furnished us with a guard to accompany us if he did not feel certain that the men would desert to the mines directly they got outside of town at four o'clock the next morning we commenced the journey each of us taking a stock of provisions sufficient to last for a fortnight although we hoped and fully expected that we should be back to monterey several days before that time had expired it was purely a question of hard riding andreas and his party had started as far as we could learn three days in advance of us and no doubt knew the track better than the old trapper who had undertaken to accompany us as a guide he had never penetrated further than the foot of the sierra so that if we were compelled to cross the mountains we should have to seek for some indians to guide us on our course by pressing our horses hard we succeeded in crossing the hills of the coast range that night and encamped some slight way down the descent in as sheltered a spot as we could manage to select the night was quite frosty but we made up a blazing fire and well wrapped up in our serapes slept till morning without feeling much inconvenience from the cold next day we struck the river of the lakes and found it thickly hemmed in with timber along its whole course we soon found a fording place and encamped at night a few miles from the east bank the following morning we fell in with some civilized indians who informed us in answer to our inquiries that a party of three whites passed along the trail the evening before last and that they would have camped not far from this spot these indians don luis informed me had all of them been attached to the californian missions but since the downfall of these establishments they had moved across the coast range and had located themselves in the neighborhood of the tule lakes subsisting chiefly on horse flesh to gratify their appetites however instead of giving chase to the number of wild horses here called mustangs that are scattered over the extensive prairies in the neighborhood of the lakes they adapt a much lazier method of supplying their larder this is to make predatory excursions across the mountains and to drive off a large herd of tame horses belonging to some poor ranchero at a time these they slaughter 
and subsist on as long as the flesh lasts, when they set out again on a similar expedition. Sometimes they are pursued, and, if overtaken, butchered forthwith, but, in general, they manage to escape some little distance into the interior, where they are safe not to be followed. We put spurs into our horses, and soon cleared the marshy ground intervening between us and the fork, which we forded, and rode for several miles through a country thickly covered over with oak trees and intersected by numerous small rivulets. Large herds of elk were frequently startled, and during the whole day their shrill whistle was continually being heard. We encamped tonight without having heard anything more of Andreas Armho and his companions. Several parties of Indians we met a few hours before sundown stated that they had not seen any white men along the trail. I felt disposed, as far as I was myself concerned, to give over the pursuit, as my horse was already worn out by the journey, but my companions would not listen to it and determined, at any rate, to see what would result from following it up briskly during the next day. We had all noticed that there were no new signs of horses that had been shod passing along the trail, but Bradley was of opinion that the party would be mounted on unshod beasts, as very few of the native Californians had their horses shod, unless they were going a journey across a rough broken country. Next day, we fell in with several more parties of Indians, from whom we learnt that the men we were in pursuit of were full two days' journey before us. One party, who had seen them encamped the preceding evening, more than forty miles ahead, told us that they had inquired of them where the trail turned off to Los Angeles. At this town was at least five or six days' journey distant, and as the Sierra had to be crossed to reach it, we concluded among ourselves that it would be best for us to return to Monterey forthwith. This decision was readily come to, as there was now no hope of overtaking the party, and every step we proceeded we were getting into a more hostile country. In all probability, if we had pursued them to Los Angeles, we should have discovered that they had struck off onto the great Spanish trail, as was their original intention, or else have found that they had been to Los Angeles and had taken their departure for some other place. We therefore turned our horses' heads and retraced our steps towards the coast in no merry mood. We rode along, in fact, in sullen silence, only broken to mutter out our expressions of disappointment at the escape of those who had robbed us of the fruits of so many months of toil, exposure, and hardship. We encountered nothing very remarkable during our three days' journey to Monterey. There were the same prairies to cross, the same thickets to penetrate, and the same streams to ford. Herds of elk and mustang were continually seen upon the heights, and every now and then we met with some small parties of Indians 
many of the chiefs dressed in the Spanish fashion. We were too well armed, and too many in number, for any of them to venture to attack us. They had been so inclined, but generally their intentions seemed to be perfectly pacific. End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 The Author and His Friends Part Company Their Regrets at the Separation Friendship in the Wilderness Friendship at a Supper The Author Finds Himself Alone Monterey Deserted High Wages Officers' Servants Not to be Obtained A Few Arrivals from the Mines Stores Shut, Houses Blocked Up and ships left defenseless. We had previously determined, on arriving at the sea-coast, to part company. There was now no object for keeping together in a party, and our future plans were, of course, very undecided. It was, therefore, clearly advisable that we should, at least for the present, separate. This resolution was not come to without something like a pang, a pang which I sincerely felt, and which I believe was more or less experienced by us all. We had lived for four months in constant companionship. We had undergone hardships and dangers together, and a friendship, more vivid than can well be imagined in civilized lands, to have been the growth of so short a period, had sprung up betwixt us. There had been a few petty bickerings between us, and some unjust suspicions on my part in respect to Bradley, but these were all forgotten. Common sense, however, dictated the dissolution of our party. When we reached Monterey, we went to an inferior sort of hotel, but the best open, and the following day we arranged the division of the proceeds arising from the sale of the gold that Bradley had left with Captain Sutter for consignment here. The same night we had a supper, at which a melancholy species of joviality was in the ascendant, and the next day shook hands and parted. Don Luis went back to his own pleasant home, and Bradley started for San Francisco. As for the others, I hardly know what were their destinations. All I know is, that on waking the next morning, I found that I was alone. After breakfast, I walked about the town. Like San Francisco, Monterey has been nearly deserted. Everybody has gone to the diggings, leaving business, ships, and stores to take care of themselves. The persons who remain are either persons carrying on profitable branches of commerce, the very existence of which requires the presence of principals upon the spot, and their clerks and servants, who have been tempted by high wages to stay. To give an idea of the rate of remuneration paid, I may mention that salesmen and shopmen have been receiving at the rate of from 2300 to $2,700 with their board per annum. Mere boys get extravagant salaries in the absence of their seniors, and the lowest and most menial offices are paid for at a rate which only such a wonderful influx of gold would render credible. But, 
even with the inducement of this high pay, it was found exceedingly difficult to retain the services of persons engaged in commercial and domestic capacities. I learned from Colonel Mason that the officers in garrison at Monterey had not been able for two months to command the assistance of a servant. Indeed, they had been actually obliged either to cook their own dinners or to go without. Every one had taken his turn in the culinary department, and even Colonel Mason had not been exempted. The prevalence of sickness at the mines has sent a few people back here, but, with the commencement of the rainy season, I anticipate that there will be plenty of labor in the market, and that its value will become correspondingly deprecated. In the meantime, the general aspect of the town is forlorn and deserted. Stores are shut, houses blocked up, and in the harbor ships ride solitary and defenseless. End of chapter 24 Chapter 25 Letter from the Author to His Brother in England Monterey, October 11th, 1848 Dear George, I take advantage of the departure of a courier sent by Colonel Mason, the United States Governor of California, to Washington, with dispatches, to let you know what I have been about during the five months which have elapsed since I last wrote you. Long before you receive this, you will have heard in England of the extraordinary occurrences which have taken place out here. My last letter, which I hope you received, told you of the failure of the emigration scheme to Oregon, and of my intention of leaving that barren, desert-like place, the first possible opportunity. A friend of mine, of whom I have before spoken to you, namely Mr. Malcolm, a Scotchman, and a thorough practical agriculturist, was anxious to shift his quarters to California, the soil of which country was represented by everyone who had visited it as of extraordinary fertility. We had heard of the war that was going on between the United States and Mexico, having extended itself to that country, and Mr. Malcolm prevailed on me to accompany him to San Francisco, where he thought I might manage to obtain an appointment in the United States Army. We made the voyage together, and the accompanying diary, of which more by and by, commences with an account of our first setting out. But to return to California, I assure you it is hardly possible for any accounts of the gold mines, and of what I may call gold gravel and sand, to be exaggerated. The Eldorado of the early voyagers to America has really been discovered, and what its consequences may be, not only upon this continent, but upon the world, wiser heads, heads more versed than mine, is in monetary science, must tell. There is much speculation here as to the effects which the late wonderful discovery will produce in the States and the old country. Of course, we expect to be inundated with emigrants coming, I suppose, from every part of the world, and truly, for all I can tell, there will be gold enough for all. And now, 
the first question you will ask me is whether i have made my fortune i reply my old bad luck has not forsaken me i always seem to come in for monkey's allowance more kicks than halfpence three months ago i thought my fortune was made and that i might come home a south american nabob nothing of the kind here i was almost on the spot when the first news of the gold was received i have worked hard and undergone some hardships and thanks to the now almost lawless state of this country i have been deprived of the great mass of my savings and must when the dry season comes round again set to work almost anew i have but fourteen hundred dollars worth of the precious metal remaining and with the rate of prices which now universally prevails here that will not keep me much over a couple of months my own case though is that of many others as the number of diggers and miners augmented robberies and violence became frequent at first when we arrived at the mormon diggings for example everything was tranquil every man worked for himself without disturbing his neighbor now the scene is widely changed indeed when i was last there as you will see by my diary things were bad enough but now according to the reports we hear no man known to be in possession of much gold dare say as he lays down his head at night that he will ever rise from his pillow the fact is that there is no executive government of any strength here to put an end to this state of things the country is almost a wilderness whereof indians are the principal inhabitants the small force colonel mason has here has been thinned very materially by desertions and the fidelity of those that remain is according to the opinion of their commanding officer not to be overmuch depended on of course as you may expect i am naturally much cast down at the turn which matters have taken i mean as regards my own misfortune it is heart-breaking to be robbed by a set of villains of what you have worked so hard for and have undergone so much to obtain i am in hopes however that my next gold campaign may be a more successful one i dare say there have been plenty of accounts of the doings in california in the newspapers as however not only you but anna and charlie and my kind friends mr and mrs blank and miss blank and many others will i am sure be glad to know something about my own personal adventures i send you a rough diary of what i have seen and done i hardly know whether you will be able to make the whole of it out for i have interlined it in many parts and my writing never was of the most legible character you know i always have been in the habit ever since i first went abroad of jotting down some record of my movements scanty enough but still forming a memorial which it is pleasant to look back upon as however the gold affair is not only a great feature in a man's life but in the history of our times i made pretty full jottings of my adventures every few days 
and since I returned here, I have spent several days in expanding them, and adding to them a few extra particulars, which I thought would be of interest. I don't know whether you will care to wade through such a bundle of information. The manuscript, when I got it all together, quite frightened me, and I hardly like to ask Colonel Mason to transmit such a bulky parcel for me, but you know our couriers over here travel with quite a cavalcade of horses, and a few pounds more would not be thought much of. However, as it may prove interesting to yourself, S., I know we'll read it through with pleasure and delight in it. I dispatch it for you to do as you like with. It will be forwarded to a young friend of mine in New York, Mr. Thorne, to whom I have written, requesting him to transmit the package to England by one of the monthly steamers. This will save you a heavy charge for postage, which, I dare say, you would not thank me for. You can't conceive, my dear brother, how often I have wished you were out here with me. Your engineering talents would have been invaluable in inventing some method of procuring the gold dust, or rather of separating it from the soil, which would have been much more effectual than the rude way in which we went to work. At the same time, I am now thankful you are at home. It is easy to get gold here, but it is very difficult to keep it. In fact, after all, the affair is a hazardous lottery, and those who may succeed in getting off with their pounds of gold dust and flakes to Europe, or to the States, will be the few who will win the great prizes. In my diary, you will find a very detailed account of our various operations and successes, the first place we made for was on the south bank of the Americans River, and when the lower or Mormon diggings, as they are called, got overcrowded, we marched off further up the river, which soon divides itself into two branches, forming the north and south forks. We reached the sawmill, where the discovery was first made, and worked there some time, but finding inconveniences in the way, and hearing of another station, we started again. This new place is called Weber's Creek, and sometimes Rock Creek, and is a small stream running into the north fork of the river. We being upon the southern bank of the south fork, and Weber's Creek running into the north fork at the north bank, we had to ford both branches of the stream to get to our new station, which we found very productive the gold being more plentiful than in the lower diggings, and discovered in short veins, and in lumps amongst the rocks of the neighboring ravines. We should probably not have gone any further than Weber's Creek. I sincerely wish we had not, but a good deal of fever and egg got about. The sun was terribly hot in those deep valleys all day, and the nights chill and damp. After some weeks here, then, we got restless, and set off once more, directing our course, three days' journey to the north, to a place upon the Bear River, where we were led to expect not only plenty of gold, but a better temperature, and a healthier climate. It was after we reached Bear Valley that our reverses began. 
it is utterly a savage country where a strong arm and the rifle form the only code of laws up to our appearance on bear river we had got on with very few adventures and considerable profit but now came misfortunes i shall not trouble you with them here they are written at full length in the batch of manuscript i send i hardly know what to do with myself here until the dry season comes round the rains have not begun yet but they may be expected from day to day and then i suppose we shall have a vast influx from the interior as it is quite impossible to camp out in the rainy season of course the price of any article of food and clothing will be excessive and i almost think that the best thing for me to do when the seamen come down and the ships are manned again will be to try and get a passage to the sandwich islands which are not very far off and in which it is probable that living is reasonable i could easily get back to the mainland in time for the next dry season what changes may take place by that time however i know not the states may claim the land and the gold with it and send an army to enforce their rights if so a terrible scene of tumult and disorder may be expected all the lawless adventurers who are scattered about this part of the continent are flocking down to the gold regions so are the indians and i feel pretty sure that jonathan will have a tough battle to fight if he wants to keep all the bullion to himself i suppose that in england the people will be pricking up their ears when they learn what we are doing here and that we shall have plenty of emigrants from home i hardly like to advise upon the subject here there certainly is a wonderful amount of gold what the chances of obtaining it and getting it taken home may be next season i know not at all events the pursuit will be difficult in the extreme and tolerably dangerous also yours affectionately j turwitt brooks end of chapter twenty five end of california by j turwitt brooks